This is Reese Crothers, and I'm, I'm talking with my friend Bjorn. Hey, everybody. <laughs> hey, Bjorn. And so this is a, a podcast we're calling the filmography, and we're going to go through um, w- one director's filmography per season. And this is really your your brainchild, Bjorn, so maybe you want to explain where it came from. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, um, we just started talking randomly uh, one day about uh, – we obviously, because uh, we've known each other for, we met, we met in 2008. Wow. Um, when I first started working at Queen Video and we were both uh, Queen Video clerks together uh, for a few years. So we've known each other for uh, 14 years. Wow. And uh, we've had to chat <laughs> here and there in person and online, obviously about filmmakers and films that we love. And we, you know, kind of have a, a similar approach and a similar sort of uh, interest in um, directors and, um, you know, what of their personality you can see in the films that they make, sort of whole auteur theory and and, uh, idea. Um, yeah, how does so, the auteur theory stand up now? You know, it's a yeah, it's funny. We exactly we're about the same age, right? I mean, I think we are the same age, and yeah, and we we grew up obviously with the films of the '90s being our primary relationship to the cinema. But the '90s, mm-hmm. obviously, the, the we had the ch- our childhood in the '80s, and we we came of a, of age in the '90s. And, and part of the, probably for you, it's like the eighties films you, you were, you were experiencing as, you know, a virgin audience member. And then you're, Mm -hmm. you're developing that as your, your foundation for, for, for what a movie is. And then the Mm nineties was really, was really a decade of irony and of upending genre, you know, from, from, from really from Reservoir Dogs on. And, and there's, there is the ghosts of the seventies films over the nineties yeah. films and, and that, and that the masters of the nineties are all trying to make their homages or, or riffs on the filmmakers of the seventies in a way mm-hmm. that maybe the filmmakers of the seventies. Um, I don't know that they, that they had the same relationship to the directors of the fifties, you know, maybe a Nicholas Ray or someone like that or a George Stevens, but, um, but really the seventies well, were their own thing. Right. And yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you, you talk about that generation of 70s directors and if, you, if you're looking at it as, as sort of like a, uh, you know, uh, a relationship between, you know, the filmmakers coming up in the 90s and the filmmakers of the 70s and the filmmakers coming up in the late 60s and, and 70s and the filmmakers of the 30s, 40s and 50s, like those, that generation, um, the 60s, 70s generation, they had nothing but reverence for the... Uh, you know, the directors of the classical Hollywood era, they saw them as influenced and, um, uh, you, you know, like they, they, they changed the, you know, the, the way of, of filmmaking. But when you hear these guys talk about, uh, you know, their, their early days and they, they were, yeah, I was looking at, you know, Nick Ray and Sam yeah. Fuller and John Ford. Fuller, and, yeah. and whereas I think there is, a, you know, a slight, detachment from directors coming up in in the 80s and 90s looking back at that classical generation and the generation before them as not necessarily reverent or um well self-referential uh, i think at that, yeah the cinematic totally. memory yeah. becomes a lot shorter all of a sudden 
And yeah, that's exactly, exactly. That's, yeah, that's perfectly put as sort of where I was trying to go with that. Absolutely. Like, Cause the seventies guys, they, they loved like Philip Marlowe and, you know, so you've got something like Robert Altman doing yeah. Marlowe with the long goodbye or something. And it's kind of like, it's the hippie version of a fifties movie. Right. And even yeah. when, even when like they do another Marlowe, like, um, I forget what year was farewell, my lovely, but it's a later pe- period picture. It's almost yeah. contemporaneous with, with the, the riffs on it. Like, you know, you got something like gumshoe or something with Albert Finney. Um, mm-hmm. they're the ironic take on the, on the, um, detective picture. But I think yeah. maybe, you know, something like night moves, uh, which I think is like right in the middle of the seventies. It's very much yeah. trying to say, okay, this is what, a this is what a detective movie looks like now. We, we, it does away with all of the, the artifice of, you know, the fedoras and the, you know, everything that Chinatown embraced, you know, a year before, um, mm-hmm. it kind of eschews. Um, but yeah, but Coppola is a funny filmmaker because it's, you know, it was your idea to start with Coppola. And as soon as you said it, I was like, yes, of course, because nobody looms larger. I think not only over their own decade of like the apex, his, the seventies were, were the apex of his career, I think. But, um, he didn't just lord over, over that decade, the films that he made in that decade, lord over the history of, you know, a hundred years of cinema on either side of it. And, and nobody did what Coppola did in the seventies. And, and yet we're starting, we have to start, we're starting the early pictures and yeah. we're, we're, we're back all the way to what I think 1962 with the, yeah. uh, with his nudie pictures. And, yeah. um, I didn't even know about those. You were the one that, that alerted yeah. me to them. And I wondered, I was, I thought, Oh, you know, is this like a, is this going to be like a sleazy Abel Ferrar type situation? And then <laughs> you realize like, no, okay. So he just, he re-edited pictures or he used a short film that he had done and he added, and he took another film and he cut together for the first one. And the second mm-hmm. one was re-edited. And then the third one was the the third film that he's credited as a director on being um, the uh, battle was a battle beyond the stars or battle. Beyond beyond the sun. The sun. Right. Yeah. And so when we first were talking about the early pictures and we were talking about that, that first one, or I guess the first three really, you know, what's I watched battle beyond the sun and I thought, I don't see anything Coppola here, but right. I didn't see the original Russian version, but what's interesting mm-hmm as far as the development of Coppola, the filmmakers is like, you know, his contemporary George Lucas took a lot of shit for tinkering with his old films. Right. I mean, people are violently upset about things he did in the star Wars trilogy, but, but Coppola on the other end of that spectrum has revisited most of his pictures. So even including like his, you know, like apocalypse. Now he's got three or four Mm -hmm. versions of it. He's released, I think three official versions and and he's been releasing you know cuts of of some of his older films with even different titles right so you've got like the cotton club encore and you've got coda the death of michael corleone and so it's interesting that a guy who has released different versions of his own pictures successfully started as as uh, a craftsman of making new pictures out of old pictures because really he said that you know uh, cotton club encore is a different movie than cotton club which which it is when you watch it. Um, and we'll get to it obviously later on down the line, but, yeah. but I hadn't seen uh, dementia 13. I hadn't seen it really any of the early pictures. I hadn't seen you're a big boy. Now I hadn't seen dementia 13. I hadn't seen 
Beyond the Battle of Stars. So, but you had seen those, and you and you've seen the two versions, right? Well, no, no I'd only the only one I'd actually really seen was Dementia Thirteen, and mm. and I hadn't seen it up until uh, fairly recently. Like I watched it oh, last okay. last fall, so all these all these pictures were new to me as well. And what got and, you to uh, watch I, Dementia? What like what what was it that got you to finally see it? Um, it got reissued on Blu-ray. Okay. To be, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I had always read about how the you know DVD version of it is terrible, and also people shit on it like it <laughs> this movie sucks, yeah. and it's like it's hardly even worth uh, you know having Coppola's name on it, um, and uh, it doesn't. I think it's great, uh, but um, uh, yeah, there had never been um, a Coppola authorized version of it um, and it had never been remastered uh, until the the recent Blu-ray release and I think it came out um, yeah like about a year ago like uh, last fall or something like that so I was like uh, I really want to watch this I've always been curious about this movie Um, and it's you know it's Coppola directed it so how bad could it possibly be because that's that. That's the big question. The yeah, exactly. Like, like his name. What does his name mean on these pictures yeah. where he wasn't himself yet? Yeah, um, definitely something that I had always been curious about. But you, um, but you had access knew, to it too. I mean, we both did, right? That that's one yeah. of the things about being a, a clerk is that yeah. you could see anything, you know. And it reminds me of that pretty, thing that. Pretty much. Well, I yeah. mean, anything that was in the store, and and we worked at yeah, we that, worked at a place that had you know, almost anything you could imagine and things that you couldn't like everything that got released in North America, except for like, just not even movies. Like if, like the only thing (laughs) the store wouldn't have would be, and they even, even that, like, but just like they would, they would draw the line at just like, you know, like straight to video garbage made for children. That's about it. There, and there was plenty of that as well. Everything else Um, under the sun. But you and know, anything, anything that got released outside of North America <laughs> as well, yeah. they would bring that stuff in. Um, but I was going to say, I just like uh, I, what I had. All, one of the big things that I had known about Dementia Thirteen is that it was, you know, Corman related, right? And Corman was somebody that I uh, had found out about like fairly young, just you know, being it's interested. A name you know. Yeah, yeah, like being interested in sort of monster movies and. Um, you know, low budget uh, type stuff. When I was a kid, I was always reading about that stuff because my dad was kind of interested in it too. That's so I was cool. always reading about the movies, but I I never got to watch too many of them. And there was kind of like when I was a kid, I was sort of interested in them in an ironic sort of way, and in like you know this oh Plan Nine from Outer Space and. <laughs> Yeah, Robot so, Monsters, so bad, it's the worst good. movies ever made, and you watch yeah. them and you laugh at them and all, all that kind of stuff. And and it took me a long time to sort of realize that, like, no, that it's not all just one thing. Like, there's a big difference between something like um, Monster A Go Go yeah. and uh, Roger Corman's uh, Poe adaptations, like Mask of the Red Death or Tomb of Ligia, sure, or something like that. Or the um, film that he directed, that, right? Like, he, I mean, he directed a couple yeah. of pictures, but that yeah, the he, Intruder he is it the Intruder? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's the, that's the an Shatner movie. Yeah, it's an excellent movie, and it's deep, and it's that one I haven't seen, but he always oh, says it's the only movie he ever lost money on. 
because <laughs> this is the only good one. But, but you know, he's also one of these guys that, as a producer, was so prolific, and he gave the start to. I mean, it's he gave the start to Coppola, he gave the start to Jonathan Demi, he gave a start yeah. to Scorsese, yeah. uh, others. Uh, I mean, uh, that I'm forgetting, but he, yeah. but he's one of those guys that he he's not known for a particular film. He's known as yeah. for his influence over exploitation cinema and being someone who took chances on talent because yeah. Scorsese, you remember. Uh, his first picture would have been the honeymoon killers and he was fired off it. So one thing I think is that there's something again, Coppola is separate from the rest of the movie brats. I would say in the same way that Jean-Pierre Melville is separate from the French new wave. And yet they benefit from that era of association. It's just ironic that there, there really are more they're 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 fathers to movements and they don't really belong in them. Like Coppola, when you look yeah. at something like Godfather now or any of these pictures, they don't feel like seven. I mean, one of the reasons that I think the Godfather is so enduring is that it's not a seventies picture. You know, it's an American mm-hmm. picture. And I think all the mm-hmm. great American movies are first American and then second of their period. You know, like I was thinking about recently about something like on the waterfront and thinking, you know, if that picture didn't come out in the fifties, would it have meant the same thing, you know, would it have been a great film in the seventies? Like one thing that the nineties cinema had for its benefit was that it had the bedrock of something like the seventies, which pushed the boundaries. It didn't, it didn't have to be, um, coy or it wasn't, you know, they had to be, they had to top the seventies movies to be something, you know, Pulp Fiction had to completely obliterate, you know, Western narrative, uh, structure in order to make that kind of an impact. But, but the 70s pictures, you know, in a way, they were rebellions against the decades that came before. And what sort of surprised me about going into Coppola's stuff is, to me, if you said, what's Coppola's first movie? I always think Rain People's the first one. But it's not, mm-hmm. you know? And and one thing that is interesting is that he, more than maybe anybody, had a chance to make a series of pictures uh, and find himself, I think, yep. by the time he gets to, you know, the 70s. Um, yeah. But none of the pictures that he made, I think, and maybe you'll agree or I don't know, um, but none of the pictures that he made are really Coppola pictures. You know, it's like he was trying his hat on with different genres, and he's so ill at ease with the freewheeling '60s uh, free love kind of thing of, uh, say, like you're a big boy now. Um, he mm-hmm. doesn't belong to his era, and I don't think he belonged to the '70s yeah. either. He's somehow you know, a, a, a character from an earlier age. He's like an Orson Welles in that way. You know, he's like, he seems to be a genius who comes out of nowhere and yet comes with yeah. the whole history of everything that came before him and yet represents something completely new. Yeah. Um, it's, so you're, you're saying basically that like the first, the first uh, five movies that we watched um, from battle, I mean, battle obviously, yeah. I, you know, does not have the Coppola. It's like eight and a uh, half, right? That, it's, that's the half. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's so you're, but you're saying like everything picture. up to and including Rain People. Yeah. It doesn't have that sort of hallmark uh, Coppola feel to it. No, and you know what? If if the pictures that came I after, mean, I agree. You do. Yeah. Because I think if Rain People was the last picture he made, he would be forgotten in the annals of film history. I I don't, I didn't see anything in these early pictures that you go, wow, this is, this is not just a guy to watch, but this is going to be one of the people who, 
who defines what cinema is for like a hundred years. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? But well, you like I mean, to, you like to mention I, thirteen, right? So I mean, maybe that's a place to start with. With I mean, it's interesting that that what got you to, to watch it was the re-release because essentially that's yeah. the first time it's available as a, an American zoetrope picture. Yeah. You know, with his yeah. with his with his imprint on it, and yeah. and I I know I don't think you've seen Twixt. Obviously, we'll get to it, but no, not yet. I haven't seen his last uh, three films, but most. Uh, I, I, I'm probably going to save it until we, you know, uh, yes, yeah, until of- we get to it. But when we get to Twixt, it'll. I want to circle back to this one and kind of go, wow, yeah. okay, how is one yeah. an echo of the other, or how is one a, a premonition yeah. of the other? Um, but well, I mean, it's like, I, especially with his sort of three uh, first three Hollywood films from Your mm-hmm. Big Boy, Trepinions, and Rain People. To me, watching them, I was saying like. These are movies that look like they're made by three different people. Absolutely. Uh, but I don't know if I would go so far as to say that I don't see um, hallmarks and trademarks of, 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 of his work okay. and his ideas in those films. Um, and, and I think there's, there's stuff in there. I mean, none of them are masterpieces, but I, I love Dementia 13 uh, a lot. And, you're a big boy now was really uh, impressive to me as well. But it was a surprise to, in a lot of ways. Like it was so non Coppola. What's that? Sorry. It was a surprise to me in that it was so non Coppola. It, it was so experimental and fast paced. Yeah. And the cutting was totally, like, so totally. fast. And, you know, we'll get to yeah. that after, but, but I do, um, I do like dementia 13. So I'm curious to see what, 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 what it was for you that you, that you identified with as being. Well, do you want to briefly talk about because the sort of what we're going to try and do is just cover um, everything from from you know in, inception to conclusion with these uh, the careers of, of these filmmakers. So, do you want to uh, Battle Beyond the Sun is when you see it listed in filmographies, it's often credited as his first film, but it's not because it. It was made in, in, in the USSR in 1959, yeah. but it didn't released in North America until 1962. So he had done his his, uh, his nudie cuties and <laughs> had worked on the terror as well, the Coppola or the Corman film with Boris Karloff, and and done like God knows what else um, uh, for Corman. Like in the meantime, well, he was a while sound he- recordist on something and. You know, so he, he was clearly a he was a working guy, working yeah. for Corman, and he got his shot. But you know what? Maybe actually, yeah. just before we do that, you know, what? I was just thinking about this: the that when we were at the video store together, um, yeah. the way that we organized, we should explain that the way that we organized the DVDs was, you know, they were alphabetical by uh, the genre, except yeah. for whoever was deemed you know worthy of having their own filmography section. Yeah, and in a lot of ways that that see something that I did and I think you didn't do this was that was that I would go and and so you say like okay well Antonioni I've never seen an Antonioni picture and then I would mm-hmm. only see Antonioni pictures for yeah. you know until you get sick of it right because I got to a point with him where I'm like Red Desert and I tuned out and, <laughs> and you know and I'm not trying to be a dick about Red Desert No no I, I, believe me I get it I, Antonioni I mean I hope I hope we eventually get to him cuz yeah. he's like There's a lot to say tough one man like uh red desert i am not a fan of but like well, monica Vitti I, though is 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 exempt from 
criticism. Oh, yeah, no, hundred percent. But I watched the passenger recently and I was like, this movie rules. Like first time around, I didn't wow. get it. Yeah. Second time I was like, yeah, this is fantastic. But anyways, neither here nor there, but you're right. Like talking about the, I mean, any decent video store, including the ones that, that are still around has a, a, a proper director section because and and it, I didn't really specifically like go and 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 uh, concentrate on specific directors um, just as a as a going thing. But I, I mean, I definitely have done that. Like if I like the first time I saw a Jim Jarmusch film, I immediately wanted to yeah. watch every other Jim Jarmusch film I could get my my hands on. You want to stay in the world of the film. You, like yeah. once you get in the world, it's easier to stay in it. And maybe it's more yeah. seductive to stay in it. Like yeah. Jarmish, uh, you know, f- when you discover Jarmish, I don't know about you, but I, I didn't discover him until Down by Law. So you got Down by Law and you've got Stranger Than Paradise already. And then the, those yeah. two films together create such a specific aesthetic mood, you know, a, 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 like a, they create a world. And all of his pictures have that same, you know, he and the Charismakis, you know, they share that, that deadbeat, uh, slow, you know, um, like almost to the point where you're like, something needs to happen. But, but, but I love him so much. I mean, and then for me, like then, then from ghost dog on, he starts doing these genre things that are crazy, um, which I love, but, Mm -hmm. but, but with, but Coppola, what, what comes back to that's interesting for me is, we had Coppola as one of those directors and you're at Bay street now, right? I'm sure you've got Coppola as one of the directors. And, yeah. and, and yet for me, it was like, I figured, well, do I need to go back before rain people? Like I just, I, I would look at the cover art of dementia 13 and think, okay, this is yeah. a movie he did because he could do a movie, but it was an independent yeah. picture. Right. And so looking at it now, I feel like I was a little bit snobby, about it before because there yeah. there are there are things in the picture that are worthwhile and that are really interesting and to me the specter of the later films it kind of unfairly cast a shadow on dementia 13 maybe i wasn't interested in it so but but yeah but you want to start with battle beyond the stars i think well i'm just curious like beyond the same i mean so just as, as the movie itself like did you enjoy it did you have a good time watching it? You know what? I, I, I kind of did. I did like in a weird way. It was like, I mean, at first I was baffled. I was baffled because I thought, what is this? How is this a Coppola yeah. picture? Like, yeah, I, I know. I didn't. Did he didn't, build these like, sets? Sort like, of knew, yeah. Like I sort of knew, like I just had filled in some gaps, but there was still gaps in my knowledge of what it actually was when I was talking about it and recommending it to you. And we, I don't even think we actually needed to watch it but it's funny that we no we i'm glad did. it did yeah yeah because but you're, i watching it i had the same uh you know the same feel i mean i i've seen stuff like this before well the but, soviet yeah, propaganda right. like there, there's something yeah. beautiful about that like and yeah. I, I use the word beautiful you know the caveat being here that it's propaganda but propaganda yeah. is most effective when it's well made right i mean and so yeah. separating it separating whether the soviet propaganda is 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 a good thing to talk about or not but it, it i remember being at, i think a, 
was it the Tate or somewhere where they had the old Soviet propaganda posters. And it was like, the colors are beautiful. They're very bold. It has a robust kind of visual palette. It's powerful stuff. It's supposed to be. And removed from time, history, and context, if you're just looking at it from a purely aesthetic standpoint, you can say, well, it's impressive to look at. And, and I'm looking at the, the Battle Beyond the Sun and I'm thinking, you know, it's very, it's very interesting looking in a way that like, it's interesting to look at, you know, cabineted Dr. Caligari or something, uh, 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 an outmoded visual language, you know? So it's like when you look back at Dr. Caligari, you can, you can, the language of it, the, the strange sets, the, everything that's no longer being done is what jumps out at you. And so that's what jumped out mm-hmm. at me with Battle Beyond the, Sun, the yeah. Sun is that it was like, wow, these, yeah. this style of filmmaking, these sets is very 50s. And very, yeah. so at first I thought it was like kitsch, like he was doing a riff on it. Like if you watch his mm-hmm. son's movies, right? If you watch, if you watch CQ, Roman's movie, um, the beginning of the mm-hmm. movie, it has like that, you know, he's taking over other people's pictures, the main character. Right? He's finishing a kind of a danger, danger diabolique clone. Yeah. And there's, and there are weird things where like at the beginning he's making these plate shots, right? These very clever sort of visual gags and tricks. And so I think that that's one of the things that he was learning on a picture like that was, I know he changed, like he did some mats and blocked out some of the Soviet, the Cyrillic text or whatever, and put in American stuff. There's something kind of playful about his ability to, to sort of, you know, Jerry rig this thing into a different kind of picture. But, but really, yeah, well, I mean, we had to see it and, and having seen it, you know, you can say, well, what he did was probably invisible, you know? So the things that probably were his, what was clever about it. Cause I don't, I don't believe that, that, that he didn't somehow, the exercise had to teach him something, but um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe what he was learning was just how much you can change a picture by re-editing it, which would come into play with the films yeah. that he would release later. Other than that, I don't, yeah. I don't know really know what to say, <laughs> to say about it. And it's just, I mean, it's also, I think it's his first opportunity to, put like the tiniest sliver of his personal um, aesthetic into the, into a picture because he's directing the dialogue. Sure. Um, it's, I mean, who knows how, how long they spent on this, on this movie, getting it ready for theaters. But I think that's, that's, you know, his first sort of, um, the, you know, the aspect the first of, time of, got, of his got creativity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's, that's so funny that you bring up CQ. I it never even occurred to me, but he, I think obviously, yeah, that uh, there is there is a link between this this movie and and CQ, there must which be. is great. I love it. Yeah, I lo- and I love CQ. Just as a side note, I mean, we can maybe even talk about that because yeah. we'll get into that period where he's producing his kids' movies. You know, so I think yeah, we'll have definitely. To we yeah, I, I mean, it's they're a franchise yeah, family. Like, sun. if your name is Coppola, I think when you're when you're born a Coppola, you get a three picture deal. Like Gia's making movies, like. <laughs> his wife's making movies. Like I think I forget someone was telling me recently, uh, Rebecca love, a filmmaker in Toronto was saying that she, she, I think she assisted Eleanor Coppola on her first movie. And she was like directed her, like aside from heart of darkness. Um, she made her first picture in her sixties. It's like every single person in that family is a director. It's incredible. Yeah. You know, and that has to go back to, to just to Coppola that he's, he, he's one of these people that, that we'll see. I think when we, when we, talk about his relationships to other filmmakers that he was like, he really was the father of, of a certain kind of filmmaking. And, and he, he, he gave people 
it's like he made people into filmmakers through proxy or osmosis or something, but proximity, I mean, um, but, but dementia 13, you know, what, what year are we talking about now? We're talking about 1963, right? Yeah. So if, if <laughs> 1963, he's, he's made a movie that's very much, did you think it was, it was of its time? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, um, this is a movie that's obviously very, very influenced by psycho. Um, yeah. but it does, you know, it's like, I've seen, you know, a few, uh, you know, horror, horror pictures from around this time. And like, it's pre psycho and post psycho because psycho yeah. really changed everything. Absolutely. Um, and so it's, you know, it's, it has, uh, you know, sort of, there are some English, some classical English actors in this, in, yeah, in the Patrick film. McGee, right. Patrick McGee. Clockwork Orange. And then, yeah. And some of the, uh, some of the other actors as well, obviously. And then, you know, the, the American actors. Uh, um, so it has, it has a bit of that sort of spooky old timiness to it yeah, as did well. It, did it remind you of something like um, Jack Clayton's The Innocence? Did you get any of that kind of vibe? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean. Like something kind of, um, I don't know what year The Innocence was, but something, there's something. 61? Is it? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I thought there was something very fifties about it, something very, but then mixed in with the kind of a, the, there's something sensual about it too. Like there was very much. I kept thinking about Polanski's um, knife in the water, the the stark formalism. Yeah. You know, well, that I mean, something that he does really amazingly well. Um, I don't, I don't have the information on. I don't know if he was DPing it himself or, or so. he must have had a camera operator of some kind. I don't, I don't know who it is. I don't have that. Uh, Charles Hanawalt, the mm. cinematographer. You know, I've seen a decent number of, uh, you know, B movies and, and horror movies, exploitation films from around this time. And although, you know, like it is like the version, obviously, that I saw of Dementia 13 is, a, a, you know, the remastered version. It definitely, you can tell there is more artistry to it. And it is sort of like, you know, Coppola considers it his first film. And, and you do see that he, you know, he's, he's in school at the time and, and he's been working with Corman and he knows what he's doing. There is an, an inherent skill in there, I think. And uh, I think it's very I assured, was, very assured. Yeah. Yeah. Know? Cause it has that stately, like, you know, I said, uh, it reminded me of turn of the screw, but only more for for tone and for the fact that it's th- th- like I said that that kind of stark uh, visual palette, but also it's it's not a it's it's not at all like you're a big boy now. Uh, it's not freewheeling mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination. It's so um, right. it's it's so kind of bolted down, except for a few parts. Yeah. there's a few moments where I think it really sort of embraces a gothic horror thing. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, we, we were saying we will talk about it compared to the other horror films of the period and stuff, but it, it reminded me, there are moments of it. I don't know if you thought the same thing, but there are moments of it when I saw the promise of Dracula. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, it's, it's it definitely, uh, shows, you know, an experimental, um, despite the fact that they had to make it so quickly and on and on a small budget, although yeah. 
uh, Coppola managed to, to basically double his budget by getting other investors. You, you know, things with like um, just the, the, the killings in the movie where, you know, you see axes swinging around and stuff like that. Very strange. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's not amateurish in any way. No. Um, but it's like that's that kind psycho of the, thing that you talked about. The, yeah. the murderers yeah. are set. It's kind of like, um, it's psycho. If Norman's parents stayed together and had two more sons, <laughs> cause it's got yeah. that Coppola. <laughs> it it, it's got the family dynamic. It's much more about a family than, than Absolutely. Psycho, which really is yep. just about, you know, Norman's relationship to women. But in this one, yep. it's a family and it's the missing people. There's a ghost. There's something about, yep. I don't know what death there was in Coppola's life at that time, but you know that after his son dies, I think around the time of Guardians of Stone, um, mm-hmm. there was a pallor over his films. But even when you go back and you look at Apocalypse Now and you look at The Godfathers and you look at this film, there's death in the family. There's the specter of death over the family is pronounced. And yeah. you know what it reminded me of? I What year is Dementia 13 again? We said this earlier, but... Was it 1961. Okay. So I was thinking it might have been influenced by it, but I realized it, it came later, which is um, Mario Bava's uh, Blood and Black Lace, you know, where you've got this small oh, yeah, for sure. cast of characters. Yep. You've got basically... One location, like in Dementia Thirteen, you've got the yep. the castle, and in Blood and Black Lace, you've got the the boutique store or whatever. But um, and one by one, the characters start getting killed off. But for me, with Dementia Thirteen, you know, not <laughs> I don't know if we have to do spoiler alerts. If you haven't seen the movie, you know, you shouldn't be listening to this, but or or go and watch it. But um, <laughs> the blonde actress in the film, uh, maybe it's because of the black and white or whatever, but she was the most striking figure for me except for when yep. Patrick McGee would show up. And, and and so when it's her turn to go, the movie lost a lot of uh, interest for me, or I lost a lot of interest because I thought yep. she was the most visually striking character in a movie, which really the, mm-hmm. the script is very light. It's it's very much a, uh, it's a slasher picture, right? I mean, that's what yep. it is. Yeah. It feels well, supernatural, said, but it's not. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because I do, well, I think I like it more than you, but I, I agree um, like you're exactly right in that it does lose a little something when Luana Anders uh, de- disappears from, and I was was shocked, like yeah. just totally surprised that she wasn't the focus of the picture because she's she's gone even before halfway through. Yeah. It does lose a little something. Like the first half of Dementia Thirteen is the most interesting uh, part of the film. It doesn't. It doesn't detract from it you know in a huge way but i i absolutely agree with you and she is such a striking figure with just this sort of like white blonde hair yeah. it looks you know white blonde and this like you know kind of super striking very mod cut of it and his yeah. hair her hair is like kind of in her face in a way and and it's it just like you know this she's she's a very beautiful woman and copal actually talks about how he was kind of in love with her um, <laughs> while shooting the movie, but he actually, of course, met Eleanor, the future Eleanor Coppola, oh, really? on The Young Racers, and she was working on this film as well, I believe. Wow, okay. Um, but he, he talks about how striking she is, and, and it's true. Um, I've never seen she her. She really is. And I, 
Uh, it's it. She had an interesting career. She's also in this movie called Night Side with Night um, Dennis Hopper. Oh yeah, of um, course. That, yeah. Have you seen that? No, I, I but I, I, when you said the title, I knew the title and I couldn't picture it, but yeah. Dennis Hopper, you know, so okay, she, Night Tide. Night yeah, Tide's black and white, right? Of, yep. Yeah. She did a lot of um, B movies and small, really mm. small films, but they like a lot of interesting kind of arty um, sort of underground stuff in a way as okay. well. Um, Cause I thought she should have been in other things. I mean, you know who she, what, what seeing her in that picture reminded me of is, uh, recently when I started going into seventies horrors and stuff, I watched, uh, four flies on gray velvet. And that was the first mm-hmm. time I'd ever seen Mimsy farmer. And I was like, she's delightful. Right. She's fantastic. And she has that same thing that, that striking blonde, yeah. um, an, another sort of waif like, I guess, or however you want to say it character. But she was, she was so good in, in, in that Argento movie better than the part called for even and yeah. that's what I thought about the, what's her name this this actress Luann Anders okay wow yeah she was she was terrific you know and I did yeah. I did like Dementia 13 it's just <clears throat> the the things that stuck out for me the most in all these early pictures are I'm I'm looking for those elements of that you know when we talk about the filmography um, uh, the things that struck me the most were were like themes images uh, yeah. cutting styles or things where you'd say, okay, that's Coppola in the making. And yeah. I would say Dimension 13 also because it was an independent production, right? I mean, maybe that's what you mean. Maybe that was yep. the, the getting the extra investors, but you see that it, it is a Coppola picture. It's, it's as much a yep. first film. It, it plays as much as a, a template or a recipe for what makes Coppola Coppola um, as much as yep. I think who's that knocking on your door does for, Scorsese, it's it's a movie on their own terms, and for better or worse, mm-hmm. they wrestle with things that are either um, maybe they're a little naive about, or you know, especially in the case of Who's That Knocking, it's just a, a such a young man's picture. Um, Dementia Thirteen, though, tries to be more mature. It's more like you know, it's like uh, because it's the family; they're not characters who are represented. There's no alter ego to Coppola in it the way that. Scorsese's picture was and there's nothing personal about it and and yet in the family dynamic I think there are things that are very personal to Coppola and I think you, we'll we'll have to circle back to them when we finally get to Tetro because my understanding is that there's a lot of his father and his uncle's relationship in Tetro mm-hmm. and this rivalry between brothers who are like brilliant and I could see some sort of shade of that in a kind of a thriller version where you have you know these siblings who are you know either suspects or trying to kill each other or whatever you know it's more it's more literal obviously in the thriller but mm-hmm. but but some of that reminded me of tetro and then like i said yeah. some of the cutting and some of the 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 gothic horror elements reminded me of um of, of dracula some of the way the score was used reminded me of dracula but yeah coppola is a well, stately I- filmmaker and it was stately yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought that up because I mean that is basically um, what we're doing. What we're at least trying to do with this podcast is to look at um, these film filmmakers' films and try and find what is in their character in yeah. in everything that they do. And it's you know it's like not a, a, a eureka revelation to say 
Coppola is very interested in family. I mean, you yeah. only really need to know that he made The Godfather to know that. Yeah, but absolutely. it's a perfect starting point, and that is so true with this movie. Like, it is well, for him to, genre. you know, like, have this, yeah, just have this. Uh, I, I think it's so telling that he just, you know, this, this first feature that he just wrote, like, as quickly as he could because he wanted to, an opportunity to get his first feature made. And this is what he came up with is this like wild family and husband and wives and, and, you know, deep seated secrets and all that kind of stuff. But he, there's nothing like, uh, uh, you know, you know, like, uh, um, he's not going through therapy with this movie. No, it's no. a really entertaining film. And he's, he's not trying to, trying to like, you know, it's a horror uh, movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so, a, it's yeah, a slasher I, picture. I mean, Psycho yeah. is a, Psycho's got a lot more Freudian shit in it or whatever, just by the nature of it being a, yeah. a, a son and a mother. But this is a family. Yeah. It's a family dynamic, and it's a family where they're all individualists. I think that's something you yeah. see in all the Coppola movies is the, the way that the individuals within the family bristle against each other and yet are always very much a family. Like, here, here you've got this family... I mean, we haven't gone into the story too much, but here you got this family on this estate and people are getting starting to get picked off. And of course, they don't flee, right? It's like yeah. the the family, same thing in the in in the Godfather where the family it's in it's inevitable that the family is inescapable. There's no question of leaving the family, and yet all of the neuroses and the conflicts come from having to be a family, you know? But when you know about Coppola and you know that he was a guy who kind of wanted to have a, a a troop the way that Orson Welles maybe did at Mercury or something. And he had, you know, he, yeah. he wanted to make live movies and he wanted, he, he cast the same people over and over. And, you know, there's something by the fact that his whole family makes movies. There's just everything about Coppola. If I, if you had to say one word that summed up the themes of his pictures, I think it would be family the way that if you mm-hmm. had to sum up the pictures of Scorsese in one word, I think it would be guilt. Right. You know? And so with, with Coppola, I thought, okay, so this first movie, lots of lots of stuff about family, but then the next picture, what a what a difference in style, and yet again, uh, at the heart of it is the the machinations of a of a small family, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, the next the next feature film he he did is uh, Your Big Boy Now, which came out Terrible in. Title. <laughs> Terrible title. Uh, 60, is this 66? 66. I believe. Yeah. 66. Um, and it, it's it's so much a product of its time. I mean, it, it not yeah. sp- specifically when we're talking about, I mean, if you're listening to this, if you're still listening to this, <laughs> then obviously you have to be some kind of a movie nerd. And so you know that there are certain watershed years in, in, in the movies. And one of them yep. is 1967, right? So this is 1966. This is the precipice yep. of the old Hollywood. And yet it's a kind of a small movie. Yep. You could say that it, it's, it, you could compare it to um, American Graffiti in a lot of ways, right? A young, except that it's more centered on a singular character. Um, but, but young people trying to find their way, right? You're a big boy now. Yep. I mean, that title, I hate the title, but the title does tell you what it is. It's, it's this, it's this uh, young. Is it New York? Where is it? I can't even remember where it was set. It is in New York, which is it's, it's not it's his town. Funny because we we you know 
Coppola has obviously done a lot of New York sure. uh, centered stuff and he's not from New York, but you, you sometimes think of him as a New York filmmaker. Obviously, you know, he's lived most of his life in, in California, Yeah, but it's, yeah, it's, this is like a very, very New York film. And it reminds me again, you know, th- this is the only one. This, so this movie is like a sixties movie, right? I mean, it's about a young man who's trying yeah. to like, we, in fact, we'll get into this in a second, but there are a lot of echoes with the, with the graduate. Um, there are some scenes yeah, that are almost exactly like the graduate. There's almost, there are uh, corollary scenes, but, like like when he goes to see the stripper you know and and in in the scene in you're a big boy now when he when he's watching um the one girl he's there on a date with one girl and he's watching the other girl on stage it's almost it's a beat for beat kind of mirrored image of of a a similar scene in the graduate Mm -hmm. but um and apparently actually this i'll just say it now apparently when mike nichols saw you're a big boy now he said shit i think we missed the zeitgeist he he thought that that you're a big boy now, uh, beat them to it. There are so right. many similarities to to yeah. to the graduate, a young man trying to find his way through different relationships with women, and, and there are scenes that are similar enough in in both movies that you could see how um, one or the other could have been a hit, but not both of them because their mm-hmm. approach to the material is so completely at odds with each other, and where. The graduate is sophisticated and sort of somber and and um, funny in a kind of a painful way. Your big boy now is mm-hmm. is big and silly and um, yep. it's a Richard Lester movie. It's it's yeah. There, I mean, it's like there's wacky jokes and physical comedy, and it has like kind of a screwball feel to it. It's like a screwball comedy mixed with like the very first you know, explorations of the new Hollywood style. And it's totally unexpected, I think, coming from Coppola. I mean... Well, especially after Dimension based 13. On, what's that? Especially after Dimension 13. It's right, so yes. fast and raucous and experimental. Yeah. And it plays more like an early De Palma where he's trying every trick in the book than it does like a... Like, I, yeah. I, I, was, I was almost shocked by the speed of it. Because Coppola yeah. is a long take kind of guy, so it was interesting. Yep. Like, but what I did see uh, an echo to was Roman's movie CQ again, because mm-hmm. there's something kind of like a like a cutesy Playboy kind of <laughs> element to it that yeah. it's that it's sort of like cheeky. Um, it's not really sexy, even though sex is on its mind. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, and. Um yeah, I mean, it is a young man's movie. This is his master's thesis film, and I guess he would have been just under 30 when he made this, 20, 27 or 28, wow. when he made this movie. And it's like he, like, he is obviously, you can tell that he is sort of, you know, he thinks these characters are ridiculous, but it's also like, I think, him trying to figure out his love life and his being in the world as like, you know, a young, youngish man becoming, you know, he's obviously he's always kind of been a mature past his age kind of guy. Right. Yeah. There's um, something but I think, almost juvenile about it that, that yeah, I think sure. it was almost like, again, whenever I think of Coppola, I think about a guy who was five years or so at least older than the rest of his contemporaries. Right. And so yeah. he's a guy who's sort of in between 
scenes. He's not he's not a hip young guy. He's not right. He's not cool in the way that Scorsese was cool, or you know any of those yeah. guys are cool. like he he's an older guy. He's got old fashioned style. He's got old fashioned tastes and stuff. So here he's trying to make a movie. It's almost like we got a, a, a chance to see like what if Coppola's movies were based on his neuroses in the way that Woody mm-hmm. Allen's movies were. And this is like his sleeper or his bananas or something. Bananas maybe. And, yeah. and, and he's trying something on. I think he's trying to find out what kind of filmmaker he is. So in the first movie, he's, he's yep. reacting to a style that is, um, you know, of the filmmakers that came before him and, you know, classical style. And then with these, with these explosions of violence that were, were, you know, you could think more like uh repulsion or, Knife in the Water, you know that era of Polanski, or mm-hmm. or um, or Psycho, something like that, right? Um, like you said, but but then then he's trying to figure out, well, what's a who am I in 1966? And it's almost like my whole yeah. my whole feeling about all these 60s movies is that no other filmmaker was more um, of his decade or set the pace for his decade or owned his decade more than Coppola owned the seventies. And so in the sixties you see him trying on these different personas. So am I the classic, you know, shockmeister of dementia 13? Am I the, um, the, what was the, was it Lester who did the knack? Yep. So there's something kind of like the knack in it, except it's not, it's just not, it's not cool. And then the main guy, he's not endearing. Like he looks a little bit like, um, he actually looks a little bit like young Harvey Keitel, I thought. But he does. He, yeah, he, yeah. You know what I mean? Like you could see, like, okay, what, what, it, what would a um, jokey, uh, silly version of who's that knocking be in color? <laughs> and it would be that. But, but there wasn't. I, I didn't see much in it that 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 said to me Coppola. If if anything, it was like the anti Coppola picture. But it explained mm-hmm. the kind of filmmaker he would become because he tried it out. And yeah, and it didn't. It was a suit that didn't fit him. It wasn't that beautiful yeah. velour green uh, <laughs> number that he liked. Yeah. You know well, I mean? you know, it occurred. It occurred to me that um, one of the reasons why he may have, um, uh, you know, tried on so many different genres with these first first uh, four or five movies is because um, he is just slightly younger than the contemporaries around him who were also sort of taking part in new Hollywood, Hollywood, but who worked in television, like Lumet and Arthur Penn and uh, guys, guys like that who cut their teeth on, on TV. Coppola never had that opportunity, but he was, you know, like taking part in the same revolution, basically. Like he's not, he's not that much different in age than Sidney Lumet. Um, But, it's almost kind of like a completely uh, different generation gap in a way. So that's uh, one of the reasons why I think he, um, yeah, it's was, felt like you he know, was doing something like, Hey, this is for those hep cats, you know? And it was like, yeah, like, like, you know, if I went and hung out with my nephews and w- was like trying to play nineties hip hop to them, you know, it's, yeah. like, it's <laughs> like, it's like, you're not cool. The cool uncle, <laughs> you yeah know, you're 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 kind of there's something that just about uh I, I don't know what world he's trying to portray I, I don't know what his relationship to that world was i, I didn't find anything authentically coppola-esque about right. that movie um yeah but but i could see i could see how 
he was just butting up against the end of an era. And it was like, it was like, I don't know if you saw the new Elvis movie, Baz Luhrmann's movie. No. Um, it's fucking awesome. <laughs> it's so, I mean, oh, yeah. the, people are going to hate it, but I love, I love him yeah. and I loved it. Yeah. Um, but when they, there, there's a part, part in the story where it's like Elvis wants to become like a James Dean. And then instead he ends up being like, you know, uh, Frankie Avalon or something, or one of those like beach, movie guys he 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 just was the wrong it was the wrong tone at the wrong time you you missed a boat you kind of right you know he, he just he, like again if it i wonder if if coppola had could could coppola have made the graduate well i mean this is it i guess right but no i get what you're saying like maybe he wasn't mature enough to make the graduate at this at this point in time but I don't know. I mean, uh, did you like it? I mean, did you, did you get a yeah, kick out of it? I did. I was really impressed by it. Actually. I, it totally took me by surprise. It was not what I expected. Oh. I expected kind of like, uh, Cassavetti style, like New York <laughs> kind of street movie. Yeah. And it's not, it is that in a way there's all, all sorts of incredible locations shooting stuff. But, but they look, but it's not it looks really beautiful, that. doesn't it? it yeah. Like the colors it, are, there's a lot about it that yeah. is gorgeous. Also, did you notice Again, though like, that the cutting of it was weird? Like, like I don't know if it was because he was trying to do comedy or what, but like, I I think yeah. I mean that did, I, that didn't really strike me, but I know what you're saying, and I think that's probably it. Is that he was trying to cut for comedy? Um, yeah, he's for not somebody who hadn't really had had that much experience, I think he did a, a pretty impressive job. I think it's a really funny film, and it was I, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I liked the it was like wacky, but without being stupid. Like I loved Rip Torn as, as you know, a 35 year old Rip Torn as his, as his father, just like playing this authority figure to the hilt. And, yeah, and he's uh, always know, like I, a, he's always a great pitch hitter to come in in any movie. I yeah. think anytime Rip Torn shows up, he does something yeah. wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah. I liked it too. Um, I, I didn't want to say that you know I didn't like it, but again, it's all these early pictures. Uh, to me, I'm judging them as Coppola pictures. I think if it was like, mm-hmm. like, um, it, it, what was the second movie Roman did the with Charlie Sheen? Probably the last movie Charlie Sheen will ever, ever be a star in. Um, I can't even, which they, one uh, inside the mind of Charles Swan the third. oh yeah okay yeah sure yeah you know there's something where they're like it, it's jokey it's playful there's a little something mournful but not in the way that the graduate mm-hmm. was um, you know it's just it's a goofy picture and I think it was kind of it, there's the, I wouldn't say it was sweet exactly it's not sweet the way that like American Graffiti is sweet or something but it, it, it was but there's something naive about it that is kind of sweet yeah. right like it's not a serious yeah picture and maybe i guess if you if it's a if it's a i forgot about that that it was a a thesis picture so you can't really judge him too much i think if you look at it and you say well okay he made that within a if he made that within a educational framework he's teaching himself things so mm-hmm. i could see it he never did that stuff again right he never he never did silly jokey fast cut you know, Richard Lestery kind of stuff. So no, I mean the closest thing is probably Peggy Sue got married, but it's, it's, yeah, it's almost it's a, a it's traditional comedy made right? in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Again, another movie about family really. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I mean the, the, the family aspect is definitely here in, in this film as well. Like he's obviously 
uh, using, you know, the lead character as an analog of, of sorts for his own struggle with his family and trying to become himself and, and that, that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, you know, also you see, um, uh, in this film, I think it's like, you see that sort of individualism that runs through, uh, his, his film, Coppola's films. Um, and maybe in, in the, that, the guy's uh, an outsider. I mean, it's an outsider. Yeah, movie. yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, it's a better, yeah, that's a, definitely a better way of putting it is that it is, he is an outsider and that, that you see time and time again from, you know, Willard in Apocalypse Now, Chucker, sure. just over and over and over again. Um, yeah, again, it's the individual I mean, again, within an institution, yeah. whether that institution is yeah. a family, like in The Godfather or, whatever, or most of those pictures, or uh, the institution is uh, the automotive industry, right? Being Wanting to be one of the big boys, but not really being part of the club, like, I think that, and yeah. I mean, every. I think you're right. I think you're touching on probably one of the prime things that's about him is the the individual who tries to buck or or contorts to 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 comply with the expectations of the institution that they're either born into or that they're because because I don't think even in Tucker, it's not like the guy chose his destiny. All these characters are 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 characters of fate, you know, who are cast against a conflicted background. Michael, especially in mm-hmm. the Godfather, but but you're a big boy now. Um, so 1966. You want to know one other thing that that just randomly I, a fact I came across about you're a big boy now was that it was part yeah. of part of the inspiration to John Schlesinger to put to to film um, Midnight Cowboy in color. Oh, really? Isn't that crazy? He heard. Yeah, he I, heard Coppola. I never making, would have thought. No. And can you imagine Midnight yeah. Cowboy not in color? No. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the great color movies of the period, right? And and again, absolutely. But but was Midnight Cowboy sixty seven? Is it part of that? Uh, sixty nine. Sixty nine. Okay, but still, there, it's on the it's on the other side of that line. So it's just it's hard to imagine. Yep. You know, <laughs> it's hard to imagine you're a big boy now having anything to do in that conversation. But um, yeah. But then, so then, okay, so you're a big boy now. I don't know. Do you have, was there anything else you felt about it that we didn't cover? I mean, just, yeah, like I, I, it was a really, really entertaining picture. I really liked it. I was, <laughs> you know, surprised at, at how much I, I, I liked it. And, you know, like, especially also being surprised by Dementia 13, a movie that uh, a lot of serious critics dismissed. And the, this movie also, a lot of serious critics have dismissed. And this is a movie that, it does not have a Blu-ray release. You can buy it only on a Warner Archive DVD-R. Wow. Um, and I think it's an important movie from, from the period. And it, I think really one of the most important things about it is this really is one of the very earliest um, uh, examples of the new Hollywood style. Like, so do you mean I, we, kind of like, I think we are... Like going for... Do you mean kind of trying to incorporate the French new wave, like one of the first kind of examples of, well, I, I think it's the, the key thing with your big boy now is that it's about youth culture yeah, and it's trying to be like, um, you know, a little bit subversive and it's like the, there's conflict all throughout it with the authority figures. And it's also like this huge, huge thing of the time of really poking fun at authority figures before you yeah. see it sort of get a little bit more serious. And movies like High Mom or, 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 you know, where the 
rebelling against authority figures becomes violent. That's not yeah, in this, right. and not in you're a big boy now, but that comes later. But that, that, that has to come from somewhere. And this, I think, is a good example of, of where it starts. It's not as good a film as The Graduate, but I think it's close. I got to be honest with you. I, I, I think there's, no, but there was there, a, there, there's a lot of similarity. I mean, I don't mean that in, in, yeah. a, in a bad way, or, or I, I mean it in the way that it, it was taking on some of the yeah. same raw material and feeling of a changing of the seasons and everything like that. It's just that it's like, if you can mm-hmm. imagine that it all really did happen over seasons, it's like the, it was a spring movie and, and, and the graduate was a fall movie, you know, it was like, yeah, the graduate is just a little further down the train of thought, a little bit more sophisticated and much more mature. I mean, there's the graduate, yeah. I, I didn't get from you're a big boy now. I didn't get a sense of the loss of innocence and the graduate is very much about the loss of Absolutely innocence. Absolutely right. Yep. You know, so the, you're a big yep. boy now yep. seem to be, seem to be, exist within a naivete and an innocence that, yep. that would be the thing that was lost in the graduate. Yeah. Maybe that's the closest way to explain it, you know, but, but still like, yeah, you're right. It's a fun movie and for sheer pep, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> It moves along, right? Like it, it, again, because I think Coppola, I think long takes. I mean, think about The Godfather, the way it starts off, and how how you know you're in darkness. It's and here yep. it's just like it's it's full tilt all the way, like you know, almost to the point. Totally. I think you said slapstick. It is, it is slapstick. And there's the weirdest, um, which might be a way to segue to the next picture. But there's a the weirdest fantasy musical number. You remember, which like. It almost looks like it could be a scene from yeah. Finian's Rainbow, and I don't think he would have that scene in the picture today. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, um, it's, it's true. I mean, uh, my moving. If we want to move on, yeah, to Finian's Rainbow, um, this is where my enthusiasm for early Coppola uh, hits the brakes. Let's just put it that way. It's a, it's a, because, it's, it's a mistake. It's a total mistake. <laughs> it's a bomb of a picture. Um, I mean, like, he obviously took this gig to learn. And I'm, I'm offended Warner- as an Irishman. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, never mind the Catholic Defamation League. I want to talk about, sure. as an Irishman, Finian's yeah. fucking rainbow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my um, God. Leprechaun and all. Yeah. He he's talked about how much he loved the stage play, and I don't think that's an excuse. But no, but you know what? That's okay. Like, that that's a good way of judging it, right? <laughs> like judging judge it as a as a Broadway adaptation. I mean, judge it against something yeah. like Dreamgirls or something. You know, I mean, it, yeah. it does create a context to talk about it because otherwise, it's kind of like, what the fuck <laughs> what is this? Well, I mean, it, he was obviously impressing, you know, uh, whoever hired him for this. People, the people at Warner, who, who whoever hired him for this, um, I mean, it's a bigger budget. He, he was, I can understand. He was writing. He had he had written some pictures, like in the interim, in between. Um, You're a big boy now. He wrote or co-wrote. Uh, this property is condemned. Yeah, and his pa- Paris, Paris burning. Is well, neither of which I've seen. But um, and I saw this property is. Condemned. I don't know. I don't know exactly how much uh, his, of his work is is uh, on on the screen, but obviously he was like 
endearing himself to, uh, you know, the, the folks who were in, in charge of, of assigning directing gigs. And um, from it's, what I understand, he is he was not totally happy with how the the, the, the movie turned out. Um, no, he but it's just be. like it's su- it's such a weird uh, pivot for him because it's like if you know if if my theory is is correct that he is basically you know kind of on the vanguard of a new style of filmmaking, the new Hollywood sort of stuff with your big boy now this is like this is the movies that new hollywood was out to destroy these overblown ridiculous big budget like antiquated musicals i mean antiquated is is the word for it antiquated is the word for i mean if he was doing something where he was reinventing the musical like imagine like a you know Michelle Gondry taking on an old school musical or, or, or yeah. even what, ba- like what Baz Luhrmann did in, in Elvis was delirium. I mean, it was like, it, 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 it totally, it was like if walk the line never happened, it was, it was like it embraced right. all the cliches, but did them with like this, 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 this gaudy kind of glorious over the top, like just un, undeniably beautiful treatment. Um, Finian's yeah. Rainbow is a good-looking movie. Like if 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 we were back in the video yep. store and you know it was this long thirteen-hour shift, I could imagine putting that movie on with the sound off just because it's pretty. And every time you look up, there's something kind of pretty happening. And yeah. but it, it it's exactly Although, like you said. It's the thing that they were trying to destroy. So other than the scale of it, I mean, I, I would think if you're a young director it, and you made a couple pictures and now you're getting a chance to make them big movie at a big studio with a verifiable, you know, movie star of the old Hollywood. I I could see the appeal, but it is a good looking movie, but in a strange way, it's also garish. Um, Like it's, well, it's broad. The grass is too green, you know? And like, you've got Tommy Steele, like mugging for the camera through half the thing. And and like, uh, you know, and then of course it gets uglier as it goes on. Um, I would say it's when a relic it the of its time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. Like it just gets, I think it gets everything wrong. And again, what was the year on it? 67. So it's a year after 68, 68. Okay. Yeah. So, but again, what is it? It's a sixties picture, right? But it's like, when we talk yeah. about the sixties, we talk about the death of that Hollywood model. And then you get these big things like Dr. Doolittle that come out or whatever, but like the, the, yeah. these kinds of movies, like who are they for? First of all, and and I have no idea. Like, it's not yeah. the sound of music, right? I mean, it's it's it doesn't no, they, work. <laughs> that's exactly it. Like it's, I mean, that's obviously what they're going for. And movies like My Fair Lady and West Side Story yeah. and Sound of Music and even Doctor Doolittle, which is not a good movie, but no. um, like these were the the blockbusters of of the time. But they, you know, they would also they be making for everybody. I think I yeah. feel like Finian's Rainbow. Rainbow is about is is for nobody and and yeah that's you're exactly right like it's obviously based on an existing property and I can really see it appealing to you know people fifty and up who would probably find this entertaining in 1967 if you'd seen maybe if people, you'd already seen the play or something and you 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 got yeah, stuck on one of the tunes completely from another time um, might find this entertaining but you're absolutely right in that it it does not have that i can't can't see i can't see anyone under 40 
enjoying this movie. Like, it's, it's maybe really small children, but it's also kind of like, it's, it's super it's long. In some and it, ways, you it's know? just kind of the same old story beats over and over and over again. The songs aren't that good. It went like, on forever. Can you hum? Like, it could, <laughs> it, it could have been a, a half hour TV special, and I would have thought, you know, that's yes. cute. <laughs> yes, you're absolutely right. Like, I can't I can't hum any tunes from no. Indian's Rainbow. No, and you know, I always kind of I, I only watched it for this and I always sort of thought like maybe 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 it's going to show some genius cuz he's good at adaptations for the most part, right? I mean, yeah. he, his big hits yeah. when we get to the Rainmaker, you know, it's so entertaining, but he he was good at doing that thing where he says Mario Puzo's The Godfather or Bram Stoker's yeah. Dracula. He he was good at bringing you other people's works. He did. He did those two S. E. Hinton, you know, back to back. Yeah, and and he was so he was so good at digging into another person's world and then making it accessible to everybody, but not yet, not with Finian's Rainbow. And and again, yeah. the only thing I could think of is its scale. But then he seems to with with the next picture completely buck that and go with something so small and so intimate. And it reminds me of something that. Scorsese said where he was talking about how his whole career he was trying to do Citizen Kane and Shadows both right and and there's that there's that push and pull between um you know something small and intimate and and you know getting to the truth of the human existence like Shadows tries to do and with you know stripped of all artifice but then something like Citizen Kane, which is inventing the artifice, you know, that would be mm-hmm. exploited later. Um, and there's that that difference between trying to be a filmmaker and a, a movie director, you know. And so yeah. with Finian's Rainbow, you got a, a movie director, um, you yeah. know. And then in the next picture, you know, he makes the Rain People, and Rain People is the kind of picture he says he always wanted to make. He always said he was trapped, sort of like by the Godfather, it was a blessing and a curse, right? Because of because of the huge success of it obviously people wanted him to make the same movie over and over again. And then, and then he wanted to make smaller pictures like the last three movies that he made, these tiny little sort of intimate pictures. Rain people is that the rain people is, I think a very interesting stop along the way in in the filmography Mm -hmm. because it's not a, not a totally successful picture. I I don't know how it did, you know, in terms of the, the box office or anything. In terms of box office, rain people uh, did not do well. No, I, I could uh, see it. I mean, it's a it's a dour picture, but yeah, but it's an unusual movie for its time, and it's more like what I would would have thought a first Coppola movie would be, you know, because there's something right. Like I could see. The, in fact, I used to think, but when I you know when I first was getting into movies, I I thought that it was Coppola's first movie. Um, yeah, and I could see the director of the conversation in Rain People. You know what I mean? It's very. Um, methodically paced. It's uh, mm-hmm. and you know what else about it though is it's 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 the mature picture that we were waiting for. Yeah, I mean it's um, you know you're absolutely right. I think that like it does feel like the kind of uh, film uh, someone would would make as for a master thesis because it's not it's not a super dialogue heavy film. It's a very moody picture. And, um, there Not is a lot of structure to it. Yeah. And there, are, there is formal experimentation with it for sure. Um, although the funny thing about it is that I don't know if this movie could have been made 
you know, three years earlier. It, it seems like it's yeah. just it's so much of, of, of that end of the 60s kind of feel to it. I mean, you, you look at something like... But it's getting closer to the zeitgeist, I think, there. Like, it, yeah. like in a way that we said that, you know, the 1966 picture was, was almost like a prisoner of its time. I think... I yeah. think the rain people in 69 is benefiting from the, a summer of, of different rules. He's benefiting from the fact that stuff like, um, you know, the graduate and these other, all those 67 pictures that came out um, and, and, and in 68, but, but rain people is a, is a mature, somber, sober drama. It's very much a seventies kind of picture, but it's mm-hmm. not accessible in the way that, Coppola's 70s masterpieces are or even for that matter the conversation because the conversation has a sort of a sense of a menace Uh, it's almost it's a got a film noir like a almost a Raymond Chandler-esque kind of unraveling a mystery thing that pulls it along and pulls it through the sort of malaise Rain People is kind of like you know a young woman and it's Shirley Knight right am I getting that right so Shirley Knight who Um, who I think is good in the movie, but she's not, she's not Faye Dunaway, you know, she's not, she doesn't have the, um, like she gets, she, she, she doesn't quite jump in the screen, out of the screen the way that her co-stars do, you know, but, um, Mm -hmm. but imagine if it was with Faye Dunaway, you know, like it's almost a Mazursky picture. It's almost like the kind of thing that Jill Clayburgh could have been in or something. It's like, and, and it's interesting in that Coppola has now made a couple pictures, um, and he goes with a few, I mean, really it's the, it's, it's Shirley Knight's character's picture, right? It's her relationship with the the James Conn character and then later Duval. And, you know, basically the story is a woman who's found out she's pregnant and she's, um, she's in a afraid to tell her husband or I can't even remember, but she's, she's running away from this possible life that she's about to be cast into. And she meets yeah. two what ifs, two men who she and briefly uh, interacts with affects, you know, and considers and then ultimately rejects. Right. Um, and then you have these two, two great showcase roles for future yeah. Corleones, uh, yes. right? James Conn <laughs> exactly. and, and Robert Duvall. Yeah. And, and so what, what did yeah. you think about, what did you think about Rain People? What did you think about the, in particular, with what you're saying about how it, how it, uh, what its place is in the evolution of his, of his style? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting, but I had trouble with it. I, 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 I felt like it was a little undercooked um, sure. in, in terms of, you know what we were supposed to think about these characters and where they are and and what they're go where they're going. Um, it's very literary, don't you think? In that sense, it's like stream yeah. conscious kind of. Yeah, uh, you know it. It was interesting. It it just it didn't it didn't really work for me. I, I liked. Uh, I mean, welcome welcome to the world of Francis Ford Coppola, James Caan, yep. and uh, glad good to see him. You know, in in a role like this. And not a super challenging role. This and is the kind really, of role that James. It's an internalized character, though, which is which is you know yeah. when, when you think about Sonny, Sonny is all bombast, and here you got a guy. I mean, yep. it's a couple years before Brian's song, you know, but he's playing a footballer yep. who's who's you know been uh, paid off and his career's over, um, and and it's and his physicality is interesting, right? He's not he doesn't mm-hmm. get a lot of dialogue. He's not as 
particularly verbal character. He's not a particularly bright character. And and he doesn't have his charm in in the way that he usually is. In some ways, it's probably the most exactly. restrained he was on screen until Misery when he had his literally hobbled, right? Yeah, I for sure. But I also think that you see him uh, you know, throughout his career doing the soft spoken tough guy kind of thing. But but not you know, vulnerable numerous times. He, he's not it's vulnerable he's, like he is in the rain people anywhere else. I, I don't right. that I can think of. I could be wrong. No, it's a, it's an excellent point actually. He does like he but also, you know, there is this inherent violence in him that yeah. we sort of think about uh throughout the entire running time is that well, and you get it with the football it. cutaways. Yeah, I mean, you're getting yeah. bodies exactly, clashing yeah. into them, and, and they almost play like, yeah. like, um, like impressionistic rather than than narrative flashbacks. They're like, this is inside him, violence and clashing and and bodies, you know, yeah, hitting each other hard, and like he he just he's carrying around. He's he's like a, a soldier back from a war who's battle weary. I mean, the football games are almost yeah. presented that way. I think, yeah. But he's quiet, and he's he's troubled, and he's and and he falls for her, and he's naive, and he's all those things. He's not sunny in any way, you know, which yeah. is sort of neat because I always thought like it's the same thing with Pacino. It's like once you let them kind of yell, <laughs> they want to yell yeah. a lot, you know. And and there's a little <laughs> too much tough guy in in Con. Actually, you know what? You know what's good, and I I, I want to say like. It, is like an evolution of what he was doing. Maybe a little bit rank people is, is the gambler. He's not really, a t- he's not a tough guy in the gambler. Right. But everything else from that period. I mean, when you think of, when I think of James Caan, I think of two pictures. I think of the Godfather and then I think of thief and in yep. thief, you know, he's sort of vulnerable in the way he's like, you know, in his scenes with Tuesday Weld or whatever he, when he's telling her about his vision board and things like that. Yeah. But, but he, he's, he's vulnerable it's counterpoint to his behavior and his behavior. He's not mm-hmm. vulnerable and his behavior is aggressive and he's, he's in motion yeah. all the time. And here, you know, he's just sitting in the car with her and talking to yeah. her and it's, it's quiet, but he's like, he's a little boy and she's, yeah. she's looking for a fantasy, right? Like imagine if she had run into Joe Buck from midnight cowboy, you know, she might've, <laughs> it might've been a different picture. Um, yeah. you know, but instead, and then you get Duval, right? Who's the opposite. Who's this like, Nothing, nothing, nothing left of the boy in him. He's, you know, a man. He's a cop. He's a motorcycle yeah. cop. He's, he can't see his eyes. He's, he's wearing a uniform. He's not, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's, a, he's a real mature character compared to, yeah. to, um, to, to James Conn's character. But, but mm-hmm. there's something about the, the see, maybe you'll well, agree. Is kind of, what's that? I was going to say, maybe you agree with me. The, the problem with the movie is, I always think this, which is that you do to your audience what you do to your characters, right? So you hear you, you got a story. What are mm-hmm. you selling tickets to? You're selling tickets to a what if, right? Imagine if at the moment you were getting tied to your life, you could run off and have a what if. You could you could meet somebody and you could all of a sudden run off and have a totally different life. That's what the two men that she meets represent, right? Um, the problem is that the two men she meets are both so ill-suited to her that, it, that, that mm-hmm. they, they don't really provide a great, what if they're not a great fantasy? I mean, the was it David Mamet that said character was revealed by a character having to make you know um, to choose between two wrongs, 
right? Right. Like, uh, it's not a wrong and a right. That's easy. Um, but two wrongs, which one's the worst one or whatever. It's like, in here, she's got two wrongs. The problem is that we go on the road trip with her. We we have those interactions with, with these two guys who don't really connect. And so it's not profound in the way that, say, in a not totally dissimilar type of film, Stranger Than Paradise is, right? Because in Stranger Than Paradise, mm-hmm. just two guys go on the road and then they meet somebody and take them, you know, meet the girl or, and, and, and you go on a little road trip. They're both hangout movies. They're both movies in which the interaction of the character is what you're selling tickets to. And the, the level of joy that exists in those relationships ends up being the amount of joy that you have in the picture. So Rain People is a really good title. And it is kind of a rain-soaked, sort of sad, somber drive. Mm-hmm. You know? And it would have been nicer if, like, he talked about Cassavetes. Like, you know, think of the spontaneity and the playfulness of Jenna Rollins in that period, you know, mm-hmm. like the character, her, her character, I feel like is, is an every woman in a, in a, in a, in a, in a negative way, in, in a kind of mm-hmm. way of saying she's, um, amorphous and, and ill-defined. And I don't well, want to knock the actress, but you know, she's just, I, I didn't think she had the yeah. mannerisms or this, I don't know. She's, she's, she, she, I thought she did a fine job and maybe it's the character and not the actress, but, I just thought yeah. I picture somebody like, uh, you know, like I say, Faye Dunaway or or Jill Clayburgh or or some just someone someone from that yeah. period who who was able to take a character and and carry a whole picture with it. Yeah, I, one of the things that appealed to me about Rain People is um, the portrayal James Conn's character, the portrayal of somebody who uh, there is really nowhere that they can go. Yeah, he's got a thousand dollars basically paid they, off. Fuck yeah. off! Here's a thousand dollars. Go, go take yeah. care of your life. That was the best part like of the you, movie when she fights for him to keep his money. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like you do not see portrayals of people like this in movies often. This is kind of you know this era is is sort of a golden age for uh, directors experimenting with that sort of thing. Well, who and gets to have a movie about them? Right, because there yeah. used to have to be a cartoon, yeah. or you had to be yeah. aspirational, and there's nothing aspirational yeah. about them. Like you couldn't, you couldn't really make a movie, not a Hollywood movie, about this character as as early as like three or four years before this. It's not about yeah. the killer James Caan, yeah. but I like that portrayal of this character who, like, because there are just so many people who get. Um, you know, buried, um, publicly, uh, like we, just, we, there's nowhere for them to go. And he, he is, he is somebody who, yeah, he, um, he's, his road is run out of hope and through no fault of his own and this brain damage that he has to deal with. And there's nowhere for him to go. And it's, yeah, I wish there was a little bit more to it. I feel like, you know, just the way slight, the whole thing right? kind of what's that? It's slight. The whole thing's slight. Yes, I would say that for sure. And I think just the way that it wraps up, it feels like a bit of a cheat to kind of make it more um, dour uh, than it actually needs to be. Um, it's like, uh, you know, we already know that these people's lives are difficult. 
And you know, it, you know, what you can compare it to. If we're talking about f- filmographies, I mean, we can talk about first picture, second picture, third picture, and compare them that way. But then there's also like, what did they take on, right? Like, I mean, when you look at Finian's Rainbow, you could say, well, look at um, New York, New York, you know, where you're doing an outdated mm-hmm. model, but that one's more successful. And then if this movie, you know, by taking a, a female protagonist and making it about, uh, you know, somebody who didn't conform to the whatever the the she's running away from being a mom and running away from being a housewife she wasn't being the good little missus that at that every yeah. other movie at the time would have told her to be we got to look at uh alice doesn't live here anymore and you know yeah the difference is like i mean we'll, we'll you know get to scorsese at some point and alice doesn't live here anymore the relation the guy that she meets you know, is Chris Christopherson and he's awesome in it and he's charming and he's like, you fall in love with both of them through each other's eyes. Nobody falls in love in Rain People. I mean, even Killer right. th- thinks he falls in love because it's, yeah. it seems like it's the first woman he's ever met. But, um, yeah. you know, it's... it's he a, just wants to feel safe. <laughs> poor guy. You know, it's tender. I feel like the, the 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 writing of the character, the way that Khan played him, the way that Coppola directed yeah. him, it's a very tender. It's a very tender creation. You know, he's yeah. Kill, kill, his name being Killer, he's like he's just a little boy. You know, I feel I felt bad. I just feel bad for him when I watch that movie. But what I get yeah, is for sure. as far as when we're talking about Coppola and what, and what is he bringing to the table at that point? Okay, all of a sudden he's drilling down into character. And I feel like he, what he didn't have in the movies leading up to this was really like a, a firm grip on the nuance and, and mannerisms of character, you know, because Finian's Rainbow right. obviously is like this big ridiculous thing. Um, you know, uh, You're a Big Boy Now is kind of, of a farce. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't, it, it, it's not judged by the rules of like authentic behavior. And yeah. going back to that idea of, you know these the war inside these filmmakers at this time where they're contending with old hollywood and they and part of them wants to be judged by whether they could make those pictures or not um yeah. the other part of them wants to be part of this new hollywood and wants to be breaking down the barriers about what kind of characters movies can be about and and, and what kind of stories they can be about and and new ways mm-hmm. to tell those stories it's interesting right now that um just looking at uh uh, Rain People sort of um, contemporaneously. Rain People was released at around the same time as Easy Rider. So it wasn't huh. obviously not influenced by Easy Rider. And, you know, we're, when you think trip, of, of... a trip movie, so yeah. Yeah. When you think of, um, you know, the, the sort of aesthetic revolutions that that came around in the late 60s, that would define the 1970s. You know, you do think about uh, pictures like Bonnie and Clyde and The Graduate in 2001, obviously, but like Easy Rider is such a huge um, turning point because of how cheaply it was made and how just directly it uh, resonated with this younger baby boomer generation, people in their, you know, late teens and early 20s, um, that oh, you can't it, deny it, it, its influence. It's 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 yeah, a huge. It's, picture. It's, I mean, it's it's it, it opened up a whole new audience for Hollywood to exploit, and they didn't quite figure it out right away, and they never really got it right. 
but at least it, it allowed for, you know, a little while, um, it, for it had really Jack interesting character, right? Like that was yeah. a little bolt of lightning. It, yeah. And it allowed um, for really interesting artists like Coppola and his peers and people younger than him to, and people, the other thing, which is all gets forgotten a lot, but like, um, you know, uh, guys coming over from Europe, like Polanski and Milos yeah. Forman and Yvonne Passer and, 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 and just coming to, to Hollywood and, uh, being able to at least try a few new things because there was a hunger for, you know, interesting, um, uh, auteur driven projects that were uh, unconventional and in, in, in a lot of ways, at least on the surface felt like movies that were unrelated to, to you know the previous fifty years of movie making that came beforehand, and I think Coppola is ahead of the curve with with uh, the Rain People. Definitely, this is you know it is like a kind of it's a very um, it's you know, more kind like of a mumbly picture, emotional. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, dark, unforgiving in a lot of ways. Uh, kind of film it's a downer um, and i believe i mean i think that the fact that it's such a downer is is yeah. is something that could yeah. only have happened in that period but i remember now what i was yeah. going to say before which was which was that this 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 conflict between the two the two warring sides of these filmmakers at this exact moment right which is like okay old hollywood's dead new hollywood is rising yeah. but we don't know what it is yet it's new like you know all the the big 70s pictures haven't happened yet 1969 um, I mean, it's interesting. That's when Tarantino set his "Once Upon a Time in Hollywood," right? Like, it is really yeah. a, a, a moment of change. And and what's interesting is I, something that Francois Truffaut said, which is which is that to dis, to determine whether or not uh, a movie was a great film, there were two uh, criteria. And they first of all, it had to say something new about the medium. Right, so it had to have some sort of level of technical innovation. It had to do something different, um, technically, and then and so mm-hmm. by, it pushed the medium forward, and then it had to push deeper into human behavior. It had to tell us something new about ourselves. So it had to tell us something new about the medium and something new about mm-hmm. ourselves. And and then when you see a picture like like Rain People, you see that okay, Coppola has tried to, to say something about the the technical side because he's taken on the musical he's taken on the thriller he's taken on the 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 sort of i mean uh, the farce if you will you're a big boy now um and with rain people he's for the first time um looking at just ordinary people and trying to find something new about the human experience right like it's 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 not totally successful but it is a first attempt to probe into real characters with, with, you know, everyday kind of problems and everyday emotion. Um, which is, I think the, we, we, we haven't seen that in his career previous to that. Yep. You know, so it's interesting. You're making me think that I maybe underrated it a little bit, but no, uh, I don't love it. I don't, uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's, it's just that I think it's an exciting, you know, listen, it's like, I'm really tough on, you're a big boy now. And those ones, because I'm, I'm judging yep. them by Coppola. I'm probably too generous with the rain people for the same reason. Cause I start to get excited. Cause I go, wow. Like for me, Coppola arrives with Patton 
and mm-hmm. we're getting really close to Patton. And all of a sudden it's like, yeah. I feel like, you know, his ability to render a realistic human being and he did it with three characters. I mean, the, the, it's, it, you could call it a chamber piece, except that it takes place in the car really. Um, but, yeah. but it's a, it's three real people. I mean, for better or worse, I believe each one of those characters is a real person. And, yeah. and, and what he's missing is that, that, is combining the two elements so that you get some sort of um, something exciting about the medium. Cause rain people isn't, isn't really, there's nothing technically that distinguishes it from other like pictures of its type. Um, mm-hmm. But, but you know, and then in the first couple movies, he's showing some technical ability. He's showing he can do different styles. Right. But he hasn't really knocked something out of the park. And then with the screenplay for Patton, I think he's all of a sudden, he starts coming up with stuff that people still quote to this day. My dad quotes Patton. You know, it's like, yeah. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and it's, it's, a, I think it's a phenomenal picture. I mean, yeah, I don't want to spoil it by talking about it yet. We'll get to it. Um, but that's well, why I, think, I get excited you know, about the rain people and also, and also that, the actors, you know, I mean, Duvall and yeah. I, I love seeing the two guys from Godfather. I think it's a, that's a good place to leave it for, you know, uh, the first, um, first episode or first two episodes we'll see how this shakes out yeah. i think one of the interesting the one of the other interesting things about rain people is this is the first american zoetrope movie yep and yep. Uh, as we will see over the next decade or two the name american zoetrope will be uh you know that will come to recognize big swings yeah with <laughs> big swings but you know um, also as an idea it's an idea. Yep. American Zoetrope yeah. is like, yeah. you know, I mean, even Dementia Thirteen, the cut that I watched that you that you uh, told me about was was a Zoetrope picture because it was re released later. But yeah, uh, American yeah. Zoetrope, the idea of it, it's very much like, and we'll we'll get into like what United Artists was or things like that. It was a dream. It was a dream and and and, yep. and an idea, and it it worked and it didn't. And it'll be interesting yeah. to talk about the way it does and it doesn't in the well, way that, you know, the, t- oh, the, the, the timing of it is, is perfect. Like this was the exact right time to, 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 to do that. Yeah. And I'm glad he, that he, uh, you know, took, took that, uh, that big, that big of a risk. And, um, you know, we will talk about Patton and I think we'll talk about the Godfather in the next Absolutely. episode. Right. Yeah. Because okay. Patton's 1970. Right. So I, I think like 1970, 1972 and 1974, those are, you know, like we won't go through all of them in the next episode, but we'll start there. And it's just knowing that like now with our next episode, Coppola, the Coppola that we know and love arrives with a vengeance. (laughs) That's perfect. Thank you for that's Well done. I love it. Thank you. Thank you to, uh, thank you to everyone for listening to, uh, the the early days of, of our podcast. This is the filmography. Uh, thank you, Reese. Thank you, Bjorn. Um, all right, we'll talk to you on the next episode. Okay, get ready for Patton. Yeah. And The Godfather. Yeah. <laughs>